The following podcast contains language that is not suitable for everybody. You're listening to Super Skull, issue 262, this time for the week of January 29th, 2020. 2020? I haven't settled on how I want to say the name of the year that we're in yet. 2020? I don't like it. Well, we're here for your weekly New Comic Day Audio Digest this time for the week of January 29th, which I'm pretty sure I already said. My name is Nick Wybar. Hello, Nick Wybar. Hello, Curtis Sullivan. My dude. My we're, dude. We're back again. We're back again. Two dudes mm-hmm. in the stude. Yeah. How does that song go? Two dudes in the stude. Two dudes in the stude. Mm-hmm. Just two dudes in the stude. Oh, I yeah. got my dude. His name was Nick. Got him into my car. Yeah. Then we drove to the place where we make a podcast. Yeah. And I'm, it's a work in progress. It's I love you it. You know what I'm saying? I feel like you're taking me on the whole journey. <laughs> that's that's how I write songs. Uh huh. It's just like it's just very literally like we, went over here, did these things, got some stuff, and did that thing. I love it. Yes. You know, it's very literal. We got a uh, we got a little show today. A little tiny guy. It's just a little a little uh, a little teaser, a little appetizer, if you will, an anytizer. An anytizer? Yeah. What does that mean? That's an appetizer that you can have anytime you want. Hmm. Well, uh, we're going to do a board game review. Yes. We're going to do some listener questions. Ooh. And let's dive right in. Okay. Haven't done a board game review in a while. I know. I think we're due. It's time, and and with good reason. Let's do, and it's very timely, uh, for reasons that we're just not going to talk about. Nope. But the board game that we're going to review this week is Watergate. Watergate from Capstone Games and Matthias Kramer. Yeah, this guy designed Glenmore. Glenmore, I've heard of, but I've never played. It is an empire-building game about 17th-century Scottish clans. Oh, exciting! riveting i can't wait to get that to the table it was released in 2010 when every game was about 17th century scottish clans <laughs> there, there was just a litter of them and people really liked that game it won a bunch of wars gets great reviews the yeah year that it came out i actually do want to play it well this game watergate uh-huh that you and i played and that i've been playing a lot was released just last year 2019 yeah, yeah the end of the year yeah it is a card driven tug of war game where one player plays as the editor right and the other player plays as the Nixon. Yeah. Uh-huh. The editor wants to reveal the crimes of the Nixon administration and get him impeached. Of course. And uh, the Nixon player wants to uh, stop that from happening. Wants to, like, obfuscate and, and block. Takes about 30 minutes. hmm It's pretty easy to pick up. Very easy to pick up and teach, it yes. It has a lot of depth for how easy it is to pick up and teach. Agreed. Can I... I'm going to describe the core mechanic of this game, and you tell me if I'm wrong. Okay. Break it down. So it's the use of cards. The whole game kind of revolves around cards. Mm-hmm. This every, is true. Every card has points on it, which you can use to move stuff around. One, two, three, four points yes. on it. You can move stuff around in the game, or it has an event on it. 
which does a crazy thing that is sweet for you. Yes, and you can choose to do one of those things. Yeah, yeah, every card has points on it. Every card has an event on it. It's up to you. You must play a card every turn. Do I want to use the points to move stuff around? Do I want to use this crazy event? If I use this crazy event, I probably have to get rid of the card. Yes, discard for, it forever. permanently from the game. Yes. The editor wants to find witnesses and pieces of evidence that link Nixon to crime. Yes. So this is represented by like this crazy board. Like, uh, think... You know, any detective movie. Right. Where you got like strings and pins on a on a board on the wall. On a cork board, right? Yeah. And you, over the course of the game, you're getting all these different pieces of evidence. You're putting it on this crazy board, cork board, that links pictures of witnesses to Nixon in the middle. Uh-huh. If the editor can link two witnesses to Nixon via pieces of evidence just by placing these out on the board, the evidence doesn't matter. They're just like- They're color-coded. Evidence tokens. Yes. Doesn't matter at all. But if you can link two witnesses to Nixon in the middle of the board, editor wins the game. Boom. Game over. Edit, the editor, we should say, represents, you know, all journalists, right? Yes. Writ large. Yeah, it seems yeah. to be like particularly the Washington Post. Right. Uh, because those are like character cards that you have in the game. But it's, you know, they, they represent journalism. Right. Responsible journalism, <laughs> essentially. The Nixon player wants to gain momentum so that he's just like an unstoppable political force. Like if he controls the media narrative and wins enough momentum tokens, these little red tokens in the game, then he can just win instantly. Yes. Uh, because he's become so, he has so much momentum that it doesn't matter what evidence comes out against him. He can just steamroll over the whole thing. Right. And he has to do this all while preventing the editor from gaining evidence tokens. So he, the Nixon player wants to gain momentum and prevent evidence from going out. The editor wants to get evidence out on the board and yes. prevent the Nixon player from gaining momentum. So you've got this push and pull all of the time. Both players need to watch both of these things all of the time. The second that you start focusing on your win condition and st and not like defending against the other player's win condition, that's when the other player will like sneak in a win for the whole game. Yep. And it happens very quickly. Yes, it like, does. Like all of a sudden, damn it, I'm about to lose, I lost. It works really, really well. What did you think of Watergate? I immediately put the it put the claws in immediately. How? Two two turns in. So so easy to teach. I taught yep. my wife. We played a game this morning. I taught her how to play in five minutes. Yep, eight minutes max. Mm -hmm. uh, she fully understood how to play the game within three turns. Three cards played. Right. That said, and I love this. This is my favorite type of game design. Like that ease of entry, that ease of learning, coupled with juicy decision making yeah so each player has a hand of cards right if you're the player with the initiative right you have five cards mm -hmm. and if you're the other player you have four cards and there's just all kinds of juicy choices do i want to move these pieces do i want to take this one time killer action because mm -hmm. what's in the other player's hand they could play you could play a really great card that you think is really good and then the other player plays something to negate that mm -hmm. right but if you play it at the right time for maximum effect you're gonna you're gonna kick butt. Yes, and it's it's just really thinky without uh, being too much, without being fiddly. Yeah, I think is crucial. Yeah, you're and not... I'm glad you mentioned that, like the decision aspect of it, because that's what there's a bunch of ways to enjoy games. This got me thinking yeah. about like why games are fun. Yeah, why they're good and fun. Yeah, because it's not a given that games are fun. No. Right? Depending on the game and depending on your personality, you might like playing games 
for lots of different reasons. Yes. You could like playing games because the theme is really goofy and it's so good and goofy that it just carries you through like whatever the game is asking of you. Right. I get to, I'm going to fight this dragon and I'm going to roll a bunch of dice and the dice might all come up as ones, but it doesn't matter because I'm, it's just silly and right. fun. Right, because the theme is so good, and you're moving st- like cool things around the board or exactly. whatever. Yeah. yeah, or it could be like the social dynamics, like the social stuff that's happening with you and the players. Your cards against humanities, your mysteriums, your apples to apples. Like the fun resides in you goofing around with other people. Right, right. Or you might have like really meaty mechanics, like the systems, like all these complex systems in a game that interact, and like if you're able to make them sing, if you're able to like work them in just the right way that like scratches rubs your brain the right way and gets you points like that is a totally legitimate way to enjoy playing games right for sure but and sometimes all these things can combine in one game to varying degrees something like might have different elements of all these different things this is not a comprehensive list but like there's lots of reasons why you might like playing a game at all and If I boil down like what I want to get out of a board game, like my favorite thing out of a board game, it's making like cool choices. Yeah. It's those decisions that you're talking about, right? It's seeing options in front of me. It's like thinking about what another player might do and then making a choice that's the best one I can make. And it's probably not going to be perfect. Nope. Because yeah, you've got the variable of the other player. You've got the variable of the other player. Yeah. Or I have to make a choice, even if I think that I've got like, well, I can do whatever I want this turn, but the choices in front of me, there is no obviously right one. There's just the best one that I can do right now. And I've determined that this is the best one. Like the the act of figuring that out is really cool and really satisfying. It makes every turn interesting. Well, and and will that move survive, right? Because that's the first calculus that you're making in Watergate, right? You're like, okay, I've got four cards in my hand. Okay, this is the best choice. Yes. Boom, I'm doing it. I'm making the call. Yes. Is it going to survive the next player's card? Yes. Yes, it made it through or what? You know, they play a different card that doesn't immediately negate what you've just done. Like, I have a plan. I am Nixon and I am going to get, like, I'm going to spend this turn just pushing momentum tokens down this board. Like, I have a plan for this turn. And now I'm looking at my cards. I'm still going to do it. I can do this plan. Yeah. And then... The other player, the editor, does something that's like, I have to completely rethink my whole plan. I have to make a new choice based on just what this other player has done and the cards that have revealed themselves. That is cool. And it's extra cool when everything is approachable enough that that doesn't make your brain bubble over. No, because this game style has been applied to much bigger games. Yes. With with way more choices. Like, this just narrows the beam down to, I mean, you got four or five choices. Well, yeah. let's, let's, if you have eight cards, you have, or four cards, you have eight choices. Yes. Right? So. And every um, one of those is like potentially interesting. Yeah. Which is rare in games. So this mechanism has been used on like Twilight Struggle, which is was widely considered one of the best board games in the world for a really long time. Right. This is, and it has the same idea. It's the Cold War and you have to play a card every turn and the card can be used for points or an event. Right? Sure. This has been used in. This game called 1960, it's been used in a lot of different stuff. It's really tough to pull off the balance because both of our decks are totally different. The things that our goals are totally different. Uh, It's like asymmetrical in a way because our goals are different, even though we're both using the same mechanics. Um, The the high wire act of making a game like this work and especially like boiling it down so much that it's so simple and elegant. I just think it's I think it's a masterpiece. Yeah. I need to play it 
50 more times. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, you and I played a couple games. We played, you know, uh, I started off as the editor and you were Nixon and then we switched. Yep. Uh, sides and played again that was uh super interesting i think both games came down to like a turn yes separated who won the game i played this morning uh came down to one card with my wife she played yeah i played my winning card right before she would have played hers yeah and it just felt super tight there the three games i played there's been no runaway you know winner it's just very very engaging and tight all the way to the last card so i played this game 20 times and i feel like every game does that that is what you want even if you're teaching someone even if you're playing against people that like are you know that are more and more familiar with it like the games might last a little bit longer with somebody that's really familiar with it but i haven't played a game yet out of 20 some games that has felt like it didn't come down to the last one or two turns which is really really cool that's what you want it just adds this like really cool tension and balance that is hard to come by in a game the the moment by moment feel of this game is like very tense without being overwhelming yeah without being complicated which is cool no and you get some really kind of wacky swings yeah which are just super fun and unexpected somebody plays an event card or a conspirator card or whatever and it just shakes up the yep everything that you just did and it's wild and that happens every round yeah a couple of times every round that's really really cool and exciting but without it feeling arbitrary nope without it feeling like oh that was just a random thing that i could not have done anything about there's you can plan for everything if you want to or you can roll with what happens in a really interesting way yep no it's a a rock solid little game i'm so glad we uh got a chance to play it a couple of times because this has been on my to play list since it came out i just just didn't hit the table so yeah the components are great Yep. The art is all historical photography. Yes. In classic historical game fashion, there's little like blurbs at the bottom of each card that give context. Like all the cards are based on either real people involved in the Watergate scandal or things that happened during that period. Yep. Uh, You know, uh, Nixon's reelected or a cancer on the presidency, that quote or like- you whatever haldeman has a card like and then there's like a little breakdown of like who this person or event like why it's relevant to the whole thing the bob woodward card already i've it's come up in my game a few times yeah. just drop a bob woodward on you take that yeah exactly yeah, who was a reporter at the post i guess who uh yeah was super involved yeah it's a solid card play bob when you get him play bob when, woodward. It, when it works yeah yeah, uh, highly, highly recommend it. And it's, again, like 20, 30 minutes to play is crazy for a game that feels that like feels this rich and tense while you're playing it. No, and, and do not be scared away by the theme also, because I thought maybe you would need some. Yeah. You know, I am, I am familiar enough with, you know, wa- the Watergate scandal and that whole yep. historic period. But like you, you do not need to know anything about any of that. Yep. You could have probably skinned this it's as like a... It's not a trivia game. Yeah. N- not at all, right. Yeah, you could have skinned this with almost anything, right? But I think it's, yeah, this is approachable to anyone. So many of these games are based in historical events, and I, and I think it's because the event part of the cards, like, you need to have a context for them, for them to have any weight. Right. Like, Maybe, yeah. Because and that's the same thing in Twilight Struggle and in 1960. Like all of the events are based in these historical things, and if it was a game about, you know, a private dick versus a criminal, or... yeah, the events would 
feel less weighty because it, if it was in a fictional world, it just wouldn't have the same impact as like seeing a card that's like, oh yeah, fucking Haldeman. Yeah, you know what I mean? G. Gordon Liddy, but, that guy. But for somebody that doesn't have that frame of reference, I guess it, it might yeah. as well be fictional. Right. Right? They, they, exactly, right? Yeah, yeah. I, it's just now occurring to me that I've never seen this mechanic played out with anything that wasn't based on a historical event. Yeah, maybe that's just game designers, you know? They, maybe it's just game designers. You're, they're really into that period of time, like, and, they, and the jump off is Watergate. Like, I want to make a good Watergate game. Would something like this work in, like, a fantasy setting or a sci-fi setting? Like, this core mechanism, I, do you I, think? I feel like it could. Yeah. You know, what's to stop, like, a you know, uh, an adventurer? One player is the adventurer and one player is the dragon, mm-hmm. you know? And, yeah, you're hoarding treasure or something. Yeah, I don't, yeah. Interesting. Right? Rock solid little push and pull though. The so on the board you've got three little pieces of evidence that start on the zero track, right? And you've got a couple little uh, chits. You got initiative chit, and then you got a momentum chit. And just keeping track of those five things on a turn is so cool. Like the amount of juicy decisions. Mm-hmm. What do I want? Because um, initiative's cool because you get to go first mm-hmm. every time. That's pretty cool. You get five cards. That's kind of badass. But momentum is going to cause somebody to win the game. Exactly. And the editor can't win without the evidence tokens. And Nixon will lose if he ignores the evidence tokens. Like everything is important in some way and you can't neglect any of it. Yeah. No, I really, really like it. This game is, yeah, smart, smart game design boiled down into just like the, I don't want to say like the only necessary components because I like games that are stupid and fiddly and have chits and yeah but usually with this mechanism it's a four hour game the games that have used this type of core mechanic before it's like you're you're, you're not getting out of there for under three hours and it's 20 minutes 30 minutes yep and that's with a teach like first game half an hour yeah yeah pretty badass Uh, so yeah play Watergate you should go ahead and play it yeah, I forgot. Uh, I always forget about Capstone Games, man. They make great games. What else they make? Uh, one of my favorites, they did a game called Great Western Trail. Ooh. That is just an amazing game. It's got like this crazy box art with like a giant cowboy's face mm-hmm. on the whole box. And it's, so it's like super intense. It's like a like a real uncanny valley cowboy too. So he's like doesn't look real, but he doesn't quite look fake. Yeah. So it's like if you look at the box, you're like, I don't want to play that. Yeah. You know, it's like weird cowboy guy like staring at you. And it's like a human sized head because the box is pretty big, right? Yeah. That <laughs> was a pretty weird box. <laughs> but man, you're moving around and building stuff and uh, moving cattle and it's it's Sweet. incredible game. So uh, Different designer, but same publisher? Yes. Cool. Yeah. So there you go. Capstone and Watergate. Check it out. And Matthias... Kramer is the designer on that one, Nick? That's correct. Cool. That's correct. We have some listener questions. Hey. Are you in the mood for some listener questions? I always am, and I feel like we've we've been starved of late. Well, if you have listener questions, you can send them to superskull at vaultofmidnight.com. We relish them. We appreciate them very, very much. Uh, please send them on over. Superskull at vaultofmidnight.com. Or you can send them to us on our website. There's a little, there's a little thing there. A little, yeah. A little button. You got it. Superskullshow.com and just click that contact us button, right? Yeah. yeah. Thank you very sincerely to uh, the listeners that sent in questions this week. For sure. And our first one comes from Trisha. Hey, Trisha. Trisha writes, as a lady, I love a good dastardly lady villain. (laughs) Right on. Who does not, this is important, who does not secretly need to get saved. Mm. 
Any truly evil and terrifying lady villains out there you can recommend? Okay, good question. Man, there should be a lot more of them. Yeah. Because there's not a lot. Well, it feels like they either need to get saved or they're just like crazy. Yes. You know, I'm nuts. Yeah, because if you go through the most obvious lady superhero villains, you've got your Harley Quinns. Yes. She's a good guy now, sort of. Ish. Yeah. And uh, And she's complicated, we should say. And she's complicated. Um, You've got, you know, your Poison Ivy, Mm -hmm. who also frequently is like ready to help the good guys as necessary. Um, Who else? Who are the the big, first thing you think of when you think of a lady superhero villain? Man, I just want to say Cheetah, but that's only because we just read Wonder Woman, you know? Yeah. God darn it. But Cheetah super needs to be saved. That's her whole thing is the character. She's Wonder Woman's buddy who got turned into a cheetah monster and like doesn't, everybody is trying to work towards her not being Cheetah anymore. Like she does need to be saved. So, yeah, that's rough. Well, and I think, you know, uh, the fact that we're having trouble coming up with like a compelling super female supervillain that need that, you know, doesn't meet that criteria yeah. is indicative oh, of yeah. what, you know what we're talking about, right? Yeah. There so. there should be more of them. Um also, the problem is that like you're really uh, most of the super super like dastardly villains that I can think of period are men, right? Right. And one of the problems is that there's a lot of the big male villains also secretly need to be saved. Sure. Like that is a, that is a way typically that comic book writers give nuance to supervillains. Right. Like think of any Batman villain. Sure, all of them. Clayface, they, Joker. They yep. used to be Harvey nor- Dent. Yes. Yep. They all used to be normal people and Batman like thinks that with the right type of help they can probably get turned around. Right. All those characters also blame Batman for why they turned into bad guys. Yes. So there's that trope in there too as well, right? Yes. The the one that is a slam dunk is Granny Goodness. As being, uh, you're saying recommending. Super dastardly, yes. unrepentant. N- fuck yeah. Uh, villain ass villain. And not crazy has a like this, I'm doing this thing. Yes. Darkseid is the dude. Who's Granny Goodness? Granny Goodness lives on a scary planet called Apocalypse. Shit, Right, yeah. so you don't want to live on that planet probably. Nope. And she started off as a lowy, they call him. Yeah. Which is uh, like the lowest class of citizen, just like the slave class, the worker class of this scary war planet apocalypse. The ruler of this planet is a guy named Darkseid. He's a god. Yes. I mean, he just can kill anything. He routinely fights the entire you know, Justice League by himself and kicks their ass. Yes. And, um, you know, Granny Goodness uh, rises up through the ranks and, and gets trained as this badass fighter and uh, like becomes like the second hand to Darkseid. She trains new warriors at this place called the orphanage yes and uh but she's all about it yeah I mean, she, she loves it her thing is turning like orphaned children into killing machines via cruelty yes and she's very very good at it and, and she, it's her thing and she believes in the cause yes like there is not a sliver of like am i doing the wrong no i am doing the right thing yes take it and yeah she's she's pretty damn cool Granny Goodness is that's a that's an easy one. That's an easy yes. Yeah, uh-huh. For dastardly villains. Um Jack Kirby character we should say too, which mm-hmm, is pretty badass. Mm-hmm. Uh New Gods uh character. Yep. Yep. Talia Al Ghul you put down here. I did. And that's a good call. I did not think about Talia Al Ghul. Yeah. 
So she's a Batman villain. Yep. Right? And she is the daughter of a big time Batman villain, mm-hmm. Ghoul. Mm-hmm. And uh, she uh, has a son with Batman at mm-hmm. one point. But she also is a character that is, I don't know if unrepentance the word, because she's just is so down for the cause. Like she believes the strong should should rule yep. and there should be an order to things and a hierarchy and this is how we're going to do it and if you do it this way you got to go. Yep. And, and that's it. She has a bat she has a child with Batman to like make a, a a more perfect human specimen to like advance her goals of like, you know, advancing the strong. Yes. Against the weak. She thinks her genes in in Batman's genes, you mix those together, yeah. we're going to make essentially a like a a, a super person. Yes. Yeah, and she's not like Howl at the Moon crazy, and she does not need to be saved. Nope. She like has an agenda that she's like trying to put into practice. Yeah, she's not trying to be Batman's girlfriend. No, nope, yeah. she's got her shit going on. So that's a that's a solid villain over there in the Batman pantheon for sure. That's true. But yeah, the larger point is there's not there's not a lot of them. There's not a, there there is a deficit of really good lady villains across the board, and we need more of them. We do, we do. I got another question for you. Hey, this what is it? This one's from Hooper. Hooper. Hooper writes, so many classic superheroes get turned into movies. Any good movie heroes get turned into actually good comics? Whoa. You're saying from film it's to comic. One. It's a good one. Man, like literally every comic book gets made into a movie damn near, so. Yeah. That's, there's but so many. But we're not talking about that. No. Movie to comic. Huh. Yeah. There's some good ones. What do you got? I'm going to just start off with the current Blade Runner uh, comic book. Pretty good. I'm obsessed with the Blade Runner films, both of them. Blade Runner original and 2049, the recent sequel. Totally kick-ass. This Blade Runner comic is set like in that universe, but it's adjacent to the film. So it's not following Deckard or... um, It's not an adaptation. It is not an adaptation. So it's just running in that universe. And I think it is very, very kick-ass. Great, great covers, great art. Mm -hmm. Solid stuff. Cool. Yep, I think that's a good one. Um, this is low hanging fruit, but there are some really good Star Wars comics, S- uh, like uh, like a ton of them. Yeah, it's crazy how many good Star Wars comics there are. Yeah, I mean, there's twenty graphic novels I could recommend. The Marvel once Marvel took over when Disney acquired Star Wars. Yes, and Marvel's owned by Disney, and Marvel started putting out Star Wars comics. We started to get all of these like interstitial between the movies, like what happened to these characters in between. Star Wars and Empire. Yes. And it's rad. It's super good. Like, what's Darth Vader's deal when he's out there running around as a big, scary Darth Vader? I thought I didn't care about that stuff at all, and they delivered so hard. Yeah. The Darth Vader comics are totally kick-ass. They're really, really good. Yep. And um, not all of them are good. Some of them are kind of missable, but like a lot of them are really, really solid. Yep. No, they've been rocking it over there for a minute. The... Oh, James Stoko wrote a... um, Godzilla comic? Uh-huh. Half Century War? Incredible. It's really good. No, when I describe that book to people, I it it looks like um it, it's like Akira uh which is one of my favorite comics of all time, uh had a baby with the band The Gorillas. Mm-hmm. Uh and just you're going to have to google that if you don't know what that is to get like a look at the art styles. Uh but holy shit, that is that's unprecedentedly good. Like, I might like that better than most Godzilla movies I've seen. It's that good, you know? Yeah. And I'm a huge Godzilla movie fan, so don't take that the wrong way. But, yeah. In, in terms of, like, characters that have gotten... All I've got are properties that then get adapted into comics. Yeah. 
that's kind of what we're working off here. Um, I can't think of any like original movie superheroes because so much of you know or movie you know so much of movie superheroes come from comics anyway. Oh, I see. Right. You know right. What I mean, the question is specific: Are there any good movie heroes that get turned into actually good comics? Mm. Like, I haven't read a really sweet, you know, what's that? Unbreakable. <laughs> comic they somehow made that good in a comic book yeah was that a will smith one like what's what's it called where he's like a <laughs> an asshole superhero oh yeah oh i forgot that existed fucking hell and he would just like he's like eat shit and he just smashes stuff and yeah. he's like i'm a jerk that didn't get turned into a good comic nope i don't know if there is one god darn it i don't know if there is one but there are good comics that started life as movies there sure are these, I, are, I, these are a few of them yeah no check out some aliens and predator comics I and mean, there's lots of ones you can skip yep but there's some good ones some of them are kind of cool yeah some of them are kind of cool cool thanks for that question hooper i got one more for you lay it on me this is from darren darren writes i love scott free and big barda so much in Mr. Miracle. That's because Darren has incredible taste. We were just talking about Mr. Miracle and Granny Goodness. Man. Any other real feeling marriages or partnerships in comics? So tired of the Lois and Clark, everything's perfect or everything's a tragedy trope. Yeah. Those is, aren't my favorite tropes either, Darren. This is I a great agree. question. Yeah. This is a really good question. Um, and I think I, we got to lean into... Well, I have to lean into the pretentious graphic novel side of things. Of course. To like really... That that the stuff that addresses this the best, right? Right, because it's hard to come by in superhero comics. To it find is realistic and uh, well treated, uh, real feeling relationships. No, I'll agree with that. Asterius Polyp by Dave Mazzucchelli mm-hmm. is like basically the story of a failed relationship, and it is one of the like most nuanced, best realized relationships in a comic book or in a prose book that I've ever read. Period. Agreed. It's about this guy. He's an architect, and. His partner is uh, an artist and the way that they both see the world in very different ways and how that's expressed through the actual art of the book. Yes. And how it like comes together and comes apart. Uh, and also just the little moments of remembering the moments of their relationship, uh, the instances that make up their relationship. It is heartbreaking and so good. That was the first thing I thought of. Yeah, no, that's a really good one. I, I, I wouldn't have thought of that one, but you're absolutely right because it's... It, it does all the beats of a relationship too. It's the beginning part where yep. everything's cool and you know, you're, you're settling into it. And then like, as it's slowly unraveling. Yes. Uh, that's a fantastic example. Dude. Yeah. Yep. The nostalgia that you can like feel for a relationship in real time while you're still in that relationship. Right. Like, it is, it's, it's wild and very, very good. The whole book's amazing, but mm-hmm. like it, it, it portrays that stuff really well. Agreed. Could you think of any, Examples of this? I think the Hard Tomorrow from Eleanor Davis is a really, really good example of uh, a very realistic relationship. It's a young couple. They're building a house together. Yes. And they're living like- They're living off the grid. They're living off the grid in like the back of a car. Yep. You know? And- They're um, both very- They're both idiots. Let's just say that. They're both very thoughtful. Yes. They have a lot going for them. They are not exclusively idiots, but they're they're also young and stupid. Yeah, they're 24. They're totally dumb or whatever. Yeah. Early 20s, they don't know shit. Uh, the boyfriend smokes definitely too much weed and uh-huh. probably needs to get his act together on building the house uh, quicker. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're freshly pregnant. So yep. that's like this looming, this is coming. Like the clock is ticking before we have to have a home right. for our tiny human that's on the way. They're trying to get pregnant. They're trying to get pregnant. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and for me, this uh, really hit 
home because it, it mirrored a lot of stuff in my life. Yeah. Uh, my early relationship with my wife and yep. how we really uh, were just dirt poor and stupid and making bad choices mm-hmm. and uh, bungling our way through it. Yeah. And not, not having a plan. And this is like, you can tell in this comic, you, you got that sense of like, what is tomorrow? Yes. What, where the, what the fuck is going to happen to us? Beyond finding weed. Yes. What is the plan tomorrow? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's and it just nails it. And there's these unexpected turns, and just like life, you know, where everything's just going right along, and then something you can't anticipate happens, and just changes all of it, the trajectory of all of it. Yes, uh, very very cool book. Hard to come by in a superhero comic, a real relationship. Yeah, I'd love to see somebody take stuff like this and just because I love capes and as you know spandex. Yep, just pop that right into. A superhero comic book. Is yeah, there a Tom, way to do Tom that? Tom King does it better than anybody. This is the example that uh, that that Darren gave us, which is that you know that the marriage, Big Barda and Scott Free. Yes, is um, I mean, in really that book is about their their marriage. Absolutely, in a lot of ways. everything else is is backdrop in scenery. Yeah, for sure. Um, the Vision, also by Tom King, dude. So in so the in the Vision, the Vision is a robot. Yep. He's a superhero robot, and he wants he builds himself a family, a wife and two children. Yes, a boy and a girl. He's trying to approximate the human experience, and by doing that, Tom King is like playing with what is the prototype for the family and for being a dad and for being a husband and for being a wife, but acted out by robots that don't understand it and are trying to understand it. Yes, but that inadvertently do all of the things that like happen in a relationship implicate implying that like these are inevitable like sure. the, these problems that you, it doesn't matter whether you're constructed or not that like just the act of interacting will cause these things to arise right. these problems to arise living together going to high school yes. paying a mortgage whatever yeah. yeah so it is cartoonish and what well, i mean is it cartoonish it's exaggerated sure right but that is kind of the point of what the vision wants to do by like this is why he built himself a family is so that he can like experience these trials uh but in a way that it, it ends up being really really poignant because he's he's dealing with these things even though he knows that it's artificial right and they're all aware that it's artificial yep no uh that's that's an incredible book i that that is a book that should still be a perennial seller on every list the, vision, you know, yeah. the fact it came out and it was this exciting thing and everybody was all about it. Um, I wish that book was still talked about as as much as it was. It is so good because I think it's it it absolutely nails it and it does that thing where it merges. I think yeah. in a way that maybe for me, as far as superheroes go, uh, you know, it, it's only the only other things this good are Tom King attempts at this type of storytelling. I mean, right? Yeah, it's not that I've read and because in superhero stuff nobody's really taken a big swing at it. Or when they do take a big swing at it, it's only like people are married so that you can raise the stakes for the city getting attacked. Yeah. Or right. something. When's one of them going to get kidnapped? When's or... one of them going to get kidnapped yep. or killed or cause you a uh, cause an origin story Yeah, or something. <laughs> exactly. Like Tom King is one of the first writers to like make a story. The point of it is relationships. The mm-hmm. point of it is how these people relate to each other, whether it's romantic or not. So it's, I'm hoping that because Tom King is very, very popular and wins awards all the time, that yeah. this is something that comic books, because it's untapped territory, which means sure. that it's like, could be a rich vein. This could be the next superhero in apartments thing, right? Where like, 
Yeah, explain what you mean yeah. by that. You know, so like, you know, uh, Mad Fraction wrote a comic about like, hey, what if you were a superhero and you had to like pay rent and like yeah. had a roommate and shit. And that's what all comics were about. For like five years. For five years. Everybody did it, right? Yeah. yeah, maybe now the new thing can be like, what if we had like a realistic human yeah. human relationships <laughs> in comic books? <laughs> <laughs> and in this way, like, yeah, super DC and Marvel are just going to like <laughs> approximate the human experience. 75 years later of like just some basic shit right just like <laughs> having a boyfriend or a girlfriend or paying rent or like you know figuring out how to cook yeah be one right. of them. yeah totally <laughs> yeah what if comic books showed people cooking what if what if comic books tried to reflect <laughs> actual human experience <laughs> but with capes and spandex but and also like with capes beams and, and spandex shit. yeah Seems like it's there for the taking. It really seems like that's no problem. Yeah. Like, just do that. I think you would, I think you'd sell a lot more comics. Yeah. I'm going to say it right now out Cause, loud. Because who are the, the, when you think relationships in comics, you got, you got Superman and, uh, you got Clark Kent and Lois Lane. Yes. And there has been some stuff recently that portrays that stuff with a little bit more, little bit more nuance. I, I think Brian Michael Bendis recently has done some some cool stuff with that relationship. What have they? What has he done? So they have a family now, and they have a son together. So Jonathan Kent is the um, son of Superman and Lois. He's got superpowers. Yep. They live on the farm, and they do family-ish stuff. Um, and and it's not always yeah. What who's in peril? Which family member is in peril? You know, is not the story arc. It's, um, you know, just like like small conversations with like dad and son about superpowers and, yeah. you know, what that means. And it's the son and uh, Lois going off into space and leaving Superman and him having all these crazy feelings about being separated from his family. Yeah. You know, and they're not necessarily in danger out there. It's just, you know. Yeah. yeah. So there's been some some neat stuff there recently. And that's kind of a, that that's not necessarily the focus of any of these books. So there's not a lot... You know, uh, it's a component Correct. of these books, yes. but maybe not the point. Yes. Uh, no, he's still fighting, you know, giant space monsters and shit. Right. Yeah. Jessica Jones and Luke Cage yes. have been a thing. Totally. In Marvel Comics for a long time. That's a good one. Is it a good one? It's really good. Yeah. So uh, I recommend folks go read specifically Brian Michael Bendis, again, his Jessica Jones run, his initial Jessica Jones run. Yeah. Uh, it was called Alias. They changed the name to Jessica Jones. So if you're going to a comic book store, ask mm -hmm. him for the Brian Michael Bennis, Jessica Jones. This is great because they get together and it's all great and they get married and it's good, but their lives, they're different people. Yeah. And so they have struggles and they separate and they get back together, but it feels realistic. Um, they have a child together and that, that makes it more rocky, but mm -hmm. then also makes it really good. And I think that's a killer comic book relationship because I think it portrays a lot of the ups and downs, not in a sensational way, yeah. but like in a, in a pretty believable way. Yeah. 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 Because they both look like kick-ass superheroes, but they, they're also just people. Right. Making babies. <laughs> they show them in the, in the sack too a few times. Nothing too graphic. Yeah. But you're like, what? All right. Do people in comic books get busy? They do. Apparently they do. So that's cool. I like that. <laughs> Besides it just happening in your diary. Exactly. In my fan to, fiction. You get to read it yeah. in a comic book. Yeah. And uh, what else? You got any other ones? No. All right. We did it. We did all of them. Do you got any other ones? I mean, I'll just mention, I haven't thought of this one in a long time. I'll mention one more. Uh, Midnighter and Apollo, uh, which is essentially, they're two characters from Warren Ellis, a very awesome writer's 
run on a comic book called Authority. Mm-hmm. When was this, Nick? Is this early 2000s? Yep. That sound right? Yeah, it's in 2005, something like that. Yeah. And this is one of those comic books that kind of kicked off, I don't know, a new flavor of comic books. I felt like there's a lot of copycats af- off of this one. Totally. Um, you know, he, they, he, he mixed in like kind of government stuff and like personal life stuff mm-hmm. and uh, just it felt more real mm-hmm. and, and not, not gritty real, not dark real. Just like people had uh, lives. There were some relationship stuffs in in there. Uh, and Midnighter is essentially Batman in this world. He's like this guy who can kick anyone's ass. As soon as he sees somebody, he's like, I can. I know exactly how to beat your face in. Yeah. And he's super violent and crazy. And then Apollo is like this Superman God character who's mm-hmm. like, oh, I'm glowing and I can, I'm charged by the sun. Yeah. And uh, they have like a really, really intense, awesome relationship. That's filled with like they they love each other, but they have totally different personalities, and the way that plays out over the comic book is is really really cool. Like if you've ever been in a volatile relationship where like you're screaming and then you're laughing every other ten minutes, you know, mm-hmm. like that that was their relationships. Pretty pretty cool. Yeah yeah. So that's another one, and so that's there, all there of them. There are some. There's lots of good. I mean, if you start to dig in. Like we said at the top, if you start to dig into the single author graphic novel side of things, there's yes. no shortage of books For that sure. are about by amazing writers that are talking about their relationships. I mean, For it's sure. like almost a trope in that part of comics yep. to varying degrees of success, just like anything. Um, yeah. Hard Tomorrow and Asterius Polyps are, are not bad places to start, but there's a lot of stuff. For sure. Along those lines. Yeah. Superheroes gets a little trickier. That's right. Tom King is just getting the ball rolling down the hill. So uh, everybody's maybe, hopefully, we'll see some more along those lines. Yeah, I bet I bet we will. Yeah? Yeah. I hope so. I hope so. That's well, we it. did it. Thank you for all the listener questions, everyone. We really appreciate it. Keep them coming. Please keep them coming. One more time, where do you send a question? You send it to... Contact at superskullshow.com? Not even close. Superskull at vaultofmidnight.com. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> Send it to us. We'll probably read it. We totally will. And then we'll pretend like we know how to answer it. Yeah. For sure. That is going to do it for us today. Before we leave, uh-huh. Curtis, will you please, if you please. I will. Will you- uh, it pleases me. Damn, oh, I'm so glad. Yeah. Will, will you recommendo me a thing that My, is not a comic book and not uh, the board game Watergate? I sure will. Uh, I just discovered this dude named Matty Matheson on YouTube. You've heard of this thing called YouTube? Yeah. It's, uh, people post videos up there and stuff. He does a little cooking show called Just a Dash. <laughs> and uh, he's like this hilarious weirdo uh, who's cooking in his kitchen. Mm-hmm. And he's like a good cook, but he's... Um, He's definitely uh, trying to do some home cooking with a little finesse, yes. but not too much. Okay. He likes to swear a lot. He makes bad jokes. Uh, fucking love this guy. Matty Matheson. He's got a ton of videos, but start with uh, the one called uh, Cowboy Confit. Ooh. And he's going to do some some quick duck confit. <laughs> yeah. And uh, my guy, hilarious. You're going to just fucking crack up watching this video. But by the end of it, you'll be like, I think I'm going to make that duck confit. Sweet. Yeah. It's dope. Cool. I've never heard of this guy. He's totally hilarious. You'll t- you'll love him. Yeah. All right. Or you'll hate him. He's got a really weird voice and he's he's pretty intense, but super funny. I think. Sweet. Yeah. What about you, Nick? You got a recommendo? I recommend blue light glasses, Curtis. Hey. These things. These are glasses that don't have a prescription in them. Yes. That filter out blue light. Blue light. What is that? It it's what all screens and lights give off. All lights too, not just computers. It lights also. 
Fudge. But mostly like screens of any kind. Phone screens. Yeah. Laptop screens. Yep. Desktop screens. TV screens. TV screens. Oh, yes, you my sh- dude. You should wear those while you're watching TV? Only if you want to. So I got these out of desperation. I like used to have, I would just have a headache every single day. My yeah. job is looking at a laptop. Yep. This is all I do all day long. I know what you mean. Is looking at a phone and a laptop. And looking at tiny text, and I was like, man, am I, am I losing my eyesight again? My brain hurts if for my some brain reason. hurts, I started wearing these things. I sleep better. I got my headaches are gone. Wow. I'm more comfortable. <laughs> You're saying for a measly investment. Yep. I'm slightly taller than I was. Wow. Like, it's amazing what these things are nice. doing. Nice. I, I, they were 15 bucks on the internet, my dude. A measly $15, and the, your quality of life has gone through the roof. My, I cannot believe Sounds like. how far- my quality of life has gone through the roof. I don't recommend a brand. I don't recommend a style of them. Uh-huh. You can get them literally anywhere. The cool ones come with a little kit with like they come with a little blue light that you can test on a piece of paper that will show you if the blue light is coming what? through. Yeah. Now, can you? What do you do with the blue light after? You just shine it at people. You show face? your friends. They come over and they say, "Why are you wearing glasses? You idiot! Are you trying to look cool?" You say, check "No, look. Out. Check this out. Look at this little thing." <laughs> I'm not just wearing vanity glasses. Yeah. Okay. If you already wear glasses like you do, Curtis, I do. You can get this applied to your current glasses. You can get this like coating applied to your glasses. So this is my dream. Yeah. I stare at a computer all day and I wear readers now because I'm an old fart. Mm-hmm. And I, so I have to wear the glasses anyway. Yep. Boom. Throw some blue light blockers if on you there. work with a computer and you are not fucking with these things, you are doing yourself a disservice. You're saying do fuck with them. Fuck with them. Get some blue light sunglasses. Spend 10 bucks. Spend 15 bucks. Try it out. Hey. If it doesn't change your life, I will buy them from you. I'm convinced I'm going to do it. Do it, man. Cool. Cool recommendo, Nick. You're cool. (laughs) Thanks, buddy. That's going to do it for us today. Thank you very much to the Ann Arbor District Library for letting us record in their auxiliary recording studio. It's nice. Once again. Yeah. I appreciate it. Uh, I think Curtis appreciates it as well. Big time. This is glorious in here. Speaking for you. Yeah, do it. Thank you very much to A-Bomb, who made all of the music that we use on our show every single week. And thank you very much to our editor, Aaron Polk. You can subscribe, download, and review The Super Skull Show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. You can also find us on Stitcher. And do us a huge favor. Okay. Grab your friend's phone. Okay. And subscribe them to the Super Skull Show. Man, for real, if you uh, tell somebody about the show, there's nothing you can do more to help us with this than telling somebody about the show. It's helping spread the word. You can leave us a review. Yeah. You can tell somebody about it on the internet, on the social media channel. Yes. That means so much to us. Share the show on whatever social platform you're on. If you dig this thing, this is how we'll keep making it, is if we can uh, get more people to listen to it. You know, what's another way that people can help the show, Curtis? Dude, they can follow us on Facebook, Instagram. Uh, You can check us out on Twitter, if that's a thing you do. Yep. Uh, You can go to our website, Mm superskullshow.com. You can hit the backslash donate button if you're feeling spicy. Yeah, what if they want to donate with their wallet? You could you could hit that that button. Uh-huh. How much it, money should they give us? My my vote? Yeah. Five bucks a month. Five bucks a month. You know, you're gonna get four juicy episodes every month. Mm-hmm. Ish. Go Ish. on. Yeah. And uh that's like a buck. I don't know how math works. What is that? A buck? Fucking change an episode. That's right. If you dig this, yeah. five dollars a month, you said it once, you don't even you'll never think about it again. And it sincerely helps. This show costs us yes. money and uh, it that helps a long way. Thank you sincerely to the people that currently give us money. Yes. Super Skull is brought to you by Vault of Midnight, Earth's finest comic books and stuff and podcasts since 1996. 
My name is Nick Weibar. And I'm Curtis Sullivan. And we wish you very good reading until next week. <laughs>